So we are, again, Redemption Church Tucson, and we are one congregation of um, one church. So there are many congregations throughout Arizona, a bunch up in Phoenix, one in Flagstaff, and us down here in Tucson. And so if you're new, that's just a little bit about us. And um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, as we just said. So if you'll go ahead and meet me there right now, and we'll get into that soon. Um, but first, I want to explain some things. But um, before that, let me ask you, if you do not have a Bible with you, can you uh, hold your hand up high? Um, not so we'll shame you or anything like that, because we want to give you one. We want you to be able to follow along. So hold your hand up high. Um, don't just kind of do the haphazard thing. Um, hold it up, and they will get you a Bible. Also, um, if you prefer a Bible in Spanish, um, si necesitas en español, tenemos. So um, that's as, as far as I can go with that. But we always um, want to make sure that we have a Bible um, that people can read. So if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, you're holding it. Keep this one. Put your name in it. Underline stuff. Um, and I'll even say if you don't own a Bible that you can read and understand, then keep this one. Okay, so you might have one that you got a long time ago that you don't really understand. Um, but again, just keep this. We want to make sure everybody has um, God's Word to um, read it and learn and grow and ask questions. And so um, with that, before we go on, I want to I wanna, um, speak a bit more to what we talked about, about who we are as the people of God, as the church with a capital C. If you'll notice right here, the cross has a purple um, sash on it. And that is to remind us that we're in a season in um, uh, the church calendar every year, the church together for for generations, for centuries, has gone through a season for the, the 40 days building up to um, up to Easter, the, the time of Easter where we celebrate the, the history-changing, life-altering reality of Jesus raising from the dead. And so we're in that season right now. And in our, in our day today, we're, we're more um, likely to kind of, you know, blink and we're at Christmas all of a sudden. It's like it was super hot all summer. We're just surviving. And then we kind of rub our eyes and all of a sudden it's like Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And then we kind of, you know, wake up from that and all of a sudden it's Easter and we just go on and on with our daily routine. And um, each week when we gather here, we observe what's called the liturgy. I'll explain that. That simply means the practice of what we do when we gather together. So we do that each week in our service. I'll explain that in a bit. And each week, the fact that we gather is part of our liturgy as the people of God. We meet in communities throughout the week. We eat meals together. We pray for one another. Um, we engage the community together um, with intentionality. And then we come back together and we gather for worship in this time. And then throughout the year in our liturgy as the people of God, we go through, as I said, the church calendar. So if you're new to that or you're maybe from kind of a church that you, you, you know, you felt like you didn't maybe know much of the intentionality for why we do things, you're like, there's a purple, you know, scarf up there. Did the worship leaders forget to take a scarf down or what happened? Um, no, there is intentionality behind that. And so we always, in everything we do, there's intentionality and purpose. And um, with that, let me just take a quick opportunity to explain our liturgy. I've done this from time to time, but what we do each Sunday when we gather. If you'll notice, we always do things in a certain order. And so we have at the very beginning a call to worship. And so we sing songs that they call us to engage our hearts. And then 
um, Stephen, the worship leader, reminds us of our need for Jesus. And he reminds us of the cross. And we have a time of individual and corporate confession where we confess our need for help. It's sort of our corporate call out for help. And then, and then we hear we're kind of primed and ready to come before God's word. Where every week, I, my promise and my prayer is that every time as we come before God's word, we will be faced with the good news of Jesus. No matter where we are, if we're in some obscure passage in the Old Testament, that will point us to the good news of Jesus. And then we respond every single time. We respond in prayer and giving and singing and in communion as we take the elements and we together remember the good news of Jesus, that His death and His resurrection shape us in all of life. And then we, we, and then we sing more songs in response. And then we're sent out as the people of God and so again, I just want to take that kind of teachable moment to remind us that's why we do these things. There's great intentionality and purpose in how we function together. And so with that, now we'll transition into our time of Mark chapter 1. If you notice, we're in four little verses today. And I have to confess, when I first looked at that, I was thinking like, ah, it's a short little passage. Jesus prays, some people come and talk to him, and that's it. What are we going to do with that? But there's a lot Okay, there's a ton there, so I'm really excited to dive into this, to kind of roll our sleeves up together and to learn from our time in, in, in God's Word together. And um, remember, if you've been here, or if you haven't, let me kind of bring you up to speed. It's proclaimed from the very beginning what Mark is all about. It says, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's kind of proclaimed. And then ironically, though, throughout the entire um, book... Humans don't recognize who Jesus is or what he's doing. There's just kind of a constant, like, kind of like, aha moment that's missed. It's like Jesus tells the people who he is, and he calls them to follow him, and, and they're like, uh, okay, so you're this? And they kind of get it wrong. But, but my prayer is that right now that we wouldn't. That, that, is, that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, that he would engage us, our hearts and our minds, and our ears would be open to see and respond to Jesus. Amen? So, so, so let's, let's um, pray with that as we get into Mark 1. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time together. Um, thank you, even as we just now talked about, for, the, for, the, um, for, for the, the reminder of why we do what we do. Or we can go throughout our day, kind of day in and day out, just forgetting. Even as we'll see today, um, Jesus had purpose and intentionality in everything that he did. And his people, his creation, often we miss it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have our eyes open, that you would kind of peel back some things and remind us of who Jesus is and what it means to live all of life in response to him and his lordship and his goodness and his grace. So, Lord, we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so pick up with me in verse 35. And um, actually, as I go, because I saw some people, I want to just, um, you may have heard a little baby kind of crying while we were um, praying. I want to just say on the front end always that we're a family church. We're a community church. As I said, we have Bibles in Spanish. And in fact, in a couple weeks, you might see someone up here interpreting in sign language um, because a, a few pe people, by God's grace, have kind of been excited to come to church but haven't known, um, certainly with my Tutter, even if you can read lips, that'd just be hard. Um, so, so we'll have an 
interpreter here, actually. Um, so that'll be exciting. Some fun things are going. And also, we have a lot of young families. So if you have a kid, if you're, you know, even, you know, if you're a young nursing mom or you have kids in here, that's totally okay. One time there was a kid up here, like, playing with trucks while I was trying to preach. You might remember that. And um, I will say it's, you know, ask you to kind of lead your kids as you so discern. Um, but, yeah, we have a children's ministry back there as well that's great. And um, we'll um, teach your kids what we're learning about in here. But, uh, again, just want to remind us all that. Okay? So that's a lot that we just covered. Let's dive in right here. Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So um, the author wants to remind us right here in verse 35, right away. He kind of uses like a redundant phrase. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Like you don't really need to say while it was still dark. But, but that's, that's a key to us that we need to kind of perk up because he wants us to learn something about Jesus. Now, it's been a week since we were in this, right? Like six days ago or seven, however you work that, last Sunday, we were in Mark and we kind of got a glimpse at a day in the life of Jesus, right? And we saw Jesus just going through his ministry and we saw that Jesus was teaching. Early in the morning, he went to the synagogues and he taught. And the people were dumbfounded at his authority, that he taught them as one with authority. And we learned that that word means like the author, like the originator of these things. Jesus taught them and the people were in awe. And then Jesus authoritatively ruled. He cast out some demons and, and it wasn't like a, an epic tug of war battle. He just authoritatively kind of had a smackdown and just said, like, be quiet and leave. And the demons had to leave. And, and, and then we saw that Jesus through his authority, restored, that he had compassion, and he restored people who were sick. And that was the evening. It was like all that in one day. And then, if you're just reading through this, how the people were, uh, would originally do, you read that, and it says, okay, that was one day. And then you go right in, pick up in verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So after this big day, this big event, Jesus saw all these things. He taught, he rebuked demons, he healed a bunch of sick people, he likely goes to bed, and then he gets up and really early in the morning goes out and prays. What do you do after a big event? After a significant event? After something big happens? Okay, those of you who are students, maybe you've just graduated, or maybe you're going to graduate someday, you hope. Um... I still, to this day, almost 13 years later, I remember walking home from campus after turning in my final paper, taking my last test, and walking home, and just all the thoughts that came through, like, what a big event, you know, I just got done with school, I'm about to graduate, I was engaged to be married, so I was going to get married shortly after, and, 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 and I, and likely most of us, are kind of like, well, now what? I don't take any, you know, or once kind of you get into your routine, you're like, what do I do now? I don't have to study. I don't know, you know, when do I wake up? How do I transition into adulthood? Um, this picture also came to mind as I was thinking through, like, a big event, and then what happens the next day? If you remember a few years back, the Dallas Mavericks um, kind of beat the seemingly unbeatable Miami Heat. 
It was the first year, okay, so I'm talking basketball here, if you're not familiar. Okay, the NBA, um, and I'll talk a little bit about basketball today, because basketball, March Madness is about to start. It's a fun time of year. Um, but anyway, so the NBA is going on, and the Dallas Mavericks just um, upset, like, the big three, LeBron James, you know, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, all these, these really good players, and somehow the Mavericks beat these guys and it's crazy, right? This big day, they're celebrating. And I remember, like, I saw the game, they won. And the next day, like the next afternoon, I remember watching an interview with the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban. And he looked crazy. I mean, he literally looked like he did not know what to do with himself. Um, okay, I, I played rugby and had some friends that were in fraternities, and he looked like he had just been, like, you know, in, in initiation week, rush week, or just something crazy had just happened. He had been partying. He was in the same outfit he had, like, you know, 24 hours earlier. His eyes were all over the place. And, and there was a sense of, like, what do I do now? He just did it all. He just won it all. What, is, what do I do now? And he looked like he kind of didn't know. Well, that's pretty similar to most of us. Like, we kind of live our lives in these short-term goals, and then we kind of don't know what to do. If our lives aren't grounded, if there's not purpose to who we are and what we do. But Jesus, what does he do? You see a, 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 a quiet resolve. Rising early in the morning, while it's still dark, he departs and prays. He gets time alone with his father. His identity, back in verse 11, if you can look there, if you have the Bible, or just hear me say this. What happened? He was baptized and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. His identity is, is grounded on that. Everything he does flows out of that. So he sees this, all these magical things happen. And he's not rattled. He's not shaken. He goes back for time with his father. And he's praying. He's spending time alone. He's being recharged. And I think our tendency, I want to hunker down here for a minute, because again, our tendency in our kind of busy smartphone world right now is to read some passages, and this is me, by the way, if, especially if you're an extrovert, okay? I, I've shared this before. I'm like a golden retriever. I'm like, where's the next party? I'm just looking for interacting. I'm looking for social stuff. And so for me, this kind of thing is really hard to do, to go and take intentional time of solitude and quiet prayer um, if you're an extrovert, you might read some passages that say things like pray while you're going or pray without ceasing, you know, as you are going and when you wake up and when, and so you just think, oh yeah, I'll just pray throughout the day. Like before I, I, I meet with someone, I'll turn off the radio for maybe a, you know, a couple minutes and I'll pray. And that's, can be my tendency. Um, let me just tell you, if that's all you do, if you never kind of go back to a grounded place of time alone with God, intimate prayer, um, that's a really dangerous way to live. I've shared this story before. I won't go into it fully, but a couple years ago, let's just say that it's not the too distant past. Um, I was coaching like five-year-old soccer and a parent, a disgruntled parent, um, started like chirping at me as I went to get the ball. It had gone out of bounds and this parent just come, during the game comes over and starts like talking to me and kind of aggressively and I may or may not have said some things back like are you getting chippy with me and you know and then maybe a, a parent had to come over and kind of you know remind us that this was kid soccer and um 
thankfully, by God's grace, like there was another parent there to intervene, and we went over and you know hugged it out and talked it out, and things worked 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 themselves out after that. But honestly, on the way home, I was just reminded, like God, I I tend to live reactively. I, I don't get away and peel away to spend time with you consistently. Um, I pray while I'm going, and that's a really good thing. But if that's all you do, you're, you can be really vulnerable to just get caught off guard, to get kind of knocked back on your heels. And in that case, I just thought, like, wow, I really wasn't prepared for that. Like, if I knew I was going into that, I would have prayed more. I would have, you know, read the Bible more intentionally, whatever. I would have been more aware. And, and so it just reminded me, but Jesus, you see a quiet resolve. He doesn't use an excuse. On the flip side, let me just say, because I kind of picked on us like extroverts, Okay, introverts maybe have some other tendencies, just to, just to recognize this, like, if you're more introverted, you might use that as an excuse for not being involved in community, or you might be like, I just kind of get it, I just kind of do my own thing, me and God, and as I talked about with membership, perhaps you have a, maybe a broken understanding of our need for one another, so it kind of goes both ways, but we see Jesus is perfect, his Myers-Briggs personality was um, perfectly set. He was all, all X's, if you know what that is. He wasn't one extreme or the other. But what happens? He's going there. He's praying. You know, perhaps there are some candles lit. He's got intimate time with the Father. Then pick up in verse, verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. I picture like Simon, who, by the way, is like the source of this. Okay, he, the author Mark was likely Simon Peter's like disciple, kind of his like secretary. So he basically wrote down what Simon um, recalled of his relationship with Jesus and all these things. So Mark's writing this, but so Simon kind of throws himself under the bus. He's like, "Yeah, I'm the one." I, I just picture him like kind of crashing in, maybe knocking over the candles, like Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you? Jesus is like, "I'm with my Father." But um, Simon comes crashing in, and we could just read passages. That's a good thing, right? They're searching for Jesus. Well, the language here is not so positive. All right, his disciples, his followers, Simon Peter and these others, come crashing in, and they interrupt Jesus. The language is used. The original audience would recognize this wasn't a good thing. In fact, this is a little bit of a foreshadowing, which months from now we'll get into Mark 8 where this same guy, Peter, impedes Jesus in his ministry. Jesus declares what he has to do, and Peter rebukes him for it. says, don't say you have to go to the cross. Like, you're the king. We have plans for you. You're going you're gonna to build your kingdom, and we know how that should go. Don't say you're going to go to the cross. And Jesus actually says, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what, um, what you're saying. And Jesus rebukes him because... Um, the same kind of thing is happening here. The people are pursuing Jesus, but with really negative purposes. Even his disciples come crashing in and interrupt Jesus. Because Jesus' plans and his purposes and his patience are not the way they think they ought to be. And, and they say what? The people are looking for you. Everybody's looking for you. Again, we could read that in our English language and think, that's a good thing, right? People are looking for Jesus. They're pursuing him. That's, isn't that a good thing? Don't we hope for that? No, not in this case. Well, this, that exact phrase is used ten times in the gospel according to Mark. That the people are looking for Jesus. They're searching for Jesus. And every single instance, it's really negative. 
Like in this case and in a couple others, it's they're looking for him for their own purposes. They want to control him. They want to impede him. They want to make him do what they want him to do. And then in other places that it's used, it's because they want to trip him up or to stumble him or to trick him. And the vast majority of the, of the time, which we'll see as we march on through Mark, when the people are searching for him, it's because they want to kill him. Because they're offended by who he says he is and what he's doing. Perhaps like you and me, we, we search for him with our own purposes, with our own agenda. Not to discover who he is and to respond to him and to surrender our life to him as none other than God. But to kind of make him do what we want him to do. To kind of to squeeze him into our lives the way we think he should be. In this case, the people were, were entertained by him. They were enthralled by him. Remember, he just healed a bunch of people. He cast out demons. He's teaching with authority. And these people are like, we're impressed. We're enthralled by you. We want to do some things with you. They want to trip him up. They want to, they want to force him to, to do what they want him to do. They want his kingdom to look the way they want it to look. And so what, is, what does he do? The people are looking for you. Is he like, okay, great, gather them around. We got a big crowd. No. Okay, pick up with me in verse 38. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that's what I came out to do. What does Jesus do when the people come and they're like, hey, everyone's here. They, they want to see your tricks. They want to see all your magic tricks. You know, they want to see you heal people and entertain them and do all kinds of stuff. And, and, and Jesus is like, okay, let's leave. Because let me remind you, okay, we've seen this before. We saw this last week, right? That the demons were afraid of Jesus, and the crowds were impressed with Jesus. And that was wholly different than having faith in Jesus. So similarly, right here, being impressed with or enthralled by Jesus does not necessarily translate into saving faith and surrendering to him as Lord especially if it's coming out of an, having an agenda for what he will do. So what does Jesus say? He says, let's leave. For I have a mission and I have a purpose. And it's going to go the way I want it to go. He doesn't give in to the, the temptation, to the glamour. All these people are around. We've got a huge crowd of people. What do we do with this? He's not even tempted. He's so aware of his identity is God the Son, and His mission of bringing about God's kingdom in the way that He intends to bring it about, which involves suffering, which involves ultimately the cross, in order to pay the price for our unbelief. Aren't you glad that He is faithful? Aren't you glad that Jesus was resolved enough to know what He came to do, to not be distracted from His mission? I have another, um, an another kind of thing came to mind from the N NBA. I don't know if it's because I'm short and I have like NBA envy or something. Um, so these, um, a couple years ago, a number of years ago actually, there was a basketball player, a very famous basketball player now, who was one of the biggest prospects ever coming out of high school. He was this enormous talent. He was, everyone was impressed with him. And he was um, said to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And he, and he was getting interviewed. And I, in fact, did a Bible study with a group of 
basketball players, which again, just picture that, these like six, eight guys and me, um, surrounding a table, and we would do a Bible study together, and we read an article about this guy, and we spent a whole time talking about him, because he was about to be the number one draft pick, and he, all these things, and he drove like a Toyota Corolla, and he was kind of like proud of that, and his dad was going to help him manage all his finances, and he talked about how his mission was to get a cross on the NBA shield, and all these things, and that was his goal. And um, I remember a couple years later watching um, MTV Cribs. Um, not that I watch that all the time, but I happen to see, <laughs> happen to see this episode, and none other than this player was there. And, and he had his house. And guess what? One of the things they celebrated was how many cars he had. I just thought it was ironic, like millions of dollars in in cars. And not that cars or money is bad. But it was a very clear picture that this guy's mission, his professed mission, he'd been wooed away from. Perhaps his friends were like, man, you know, you've got all this. Like, come on, think about what you could do with this. What happened with Jesus? Maybe all his friends were like, let's, let's, you have good stewardship. Let's take capitalize on this mug. All these, all these people are around. All these, they're impressed with you. Come on. Like, you can do this. You can build your kingdom right here. Don't go the hard way. Do the easy thing. Do your tricks. Heal people. Entertain the people. The crowds will surely grow. And as we'll see as we march on, Jesus really isn't concerned with that. In fact, he even lets the crowds, even makes the crowds kind of thin out from time to time. Because his mission is to bring the kingdom of God, to lay his life down on the cross, and to call people to follow him. Not as a magician, not as an entertainer, not as a genie to pull off the shelf every once in a while, but to follow Him as Lord and Savior in all of life. And then lastly, it just says very simply in verse 39, And He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The language is used again to remind us throughout this short little passage that Jesus is so committed to his mission and that he brings that about through his intimacy with the Father and that he stays committed to his plans no matter what. The language there that he goes to the synagogues is to remind the people that he's very purposeful in everything he does. Because in their time, in like first century AD, in Jesus's time, um, there were a bunch of other false prophets and false kings showing up that, again, would, would seek to draw big crowds and entertain people. And there was a sense of kind of aimless wander, just kind of going around from place to place, doing their thing, hoping to get big crowds, not really knowing what they were doing. But you see again, you're reminded that Jesus has quiet resolve, that through purposeful and patient prayer and preaching, He's bringing his kingdom about. So he goes to the synagogues. He goes to places where people are gathered together, where they are anticipating the kingdom, but they don't know how it is to come. And so Jesus specifically goes to those places to call people to follow him and to reveal that his kingdom is at hand. So as we close, as we prepare to to respond, as I said earlier, what we do every week, I want to ask us, I want to challenge us. First, personally, how do you respond to Jesus? Are you not a follower of, of His? Have you never put your trust in Him? Perhaps your understanding of Christianity is a magic show. 
Perhaps your understanding of church is, I don't really know why they gather, but I get the idea it's just to build bigger and bigger crowds, and um, maybe that was Jesus' agenda too. But, but hopefully through this time you see, no, Jesus came with quiet and purposeful resolve to rescue you, to call you into a relationship with himself. And if you are a Christian, perhaps like me, you tend toward just kind of flippant, cursory prayer as you're going. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to pray without ceasing. But if that's all there is, perhaps you are reminded today, God, I don't see you as the constant source of all of life. I I don't see my need for you. I tend to be more reactive than purposeful. So perhaps today you need to be reminded to pray, to live a life where you're pursuing time alone with the Lord. Even today when we respond, as Paul comes up here, he will call us to prayer. Every week we have people on the side to pray. Let us be a people of prayer. And And that brings me to our corporate response. Again, especially for those of you who are members or are regular attenders who you call this your church. If, you're, if, if this is your church, if you're the people of God together, let me ask us, how do we respond to these things communally? Are we going to be like the crowds? In our church, are we going to seek Jesus with an agenda of our own rather than submitting to his agenda? Rather than submitting to his mission? Are we going to look for him? Are we going to be tempted to... You know, just gather big crowds and do things aimlessly just to kind of without purpose or week in and week out. Are we going to be reminded of the accomplished mission of Jesus on the cross and the victorious resurrection from the dead that defines our lives and how we live? Am I going to be tempted to preach a more easy to swallow, more palatable gospel gospel that doesn't call us to surrender. It doesn't call us to confession, to repentance, to turning to Jesus. Are we as a church going to remain committed to the mission that we've been called to for Jesus' glory and the good of our city, to call all people from every walk of life to surrender and to relationship with Jesus? And the good news now as we respond in prayer is that we get to have life through Jesus, through his resolve, though we are faithless, he was faithful. So we get to be called into his mission like Jesus. We now get to live our life through persistent and patient prayer and preaching and proclamation of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God that has come to shape us individually and corporately in all of life. Let's pray now as we respond. And worship. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for your plan from the very beginning. I confess, as some of my friends even this week in conversation pointed out, it seems like there could have been an easier way. You had huge crowds gathering. You performed all sorts of miracles that were incredible. And Lord, I confess, along with my friends here today, we don't understand every little detail. But we have to look no farther than the cross and the empty tomb, than your death and your victorious resurrection, to be reminded that you have called us into relationship with you. You have called us individually and together as your people 
to be a part of your kingdom and to be the means through which your kingdom is coming. Lord, that is good news for us. That is good news for Safford School as we invest here, as we partner here. That is good news for Tucson. That is good news for the world. Lord, I pray now that we would respond appropriately in singing and in prayer and in all of life as your people. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.